Old Vintage Church, how you doing today? Y'all doing all right? Man. <laughs> Well, it's good to see you. For those of you who may be new or visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen and I'm the pastor here. I have been gone the last several weeks, super excited to be back. We've been in a series called Ephesus. We're together uh, really the last five weeks. This is week five. We've been studying through the New Testament book of Ephesians. It is a powerful, powerful book. Today we're going to continue our series talking about the testimony of the church. I do want to encourage you, if you are just joining with us for the first time, uh, church, can we give it up for all of our guests before we go any further? Come on. Super glad that you're here. This series, like all of our series, builds on the weeks that came before it. I want to encourage you, if you haven't, download the Vintage Church app. You can hop on our website as well. Make sure that you catch up. Uh, this letter was written in order to the church. It is a powerful letter, but it's very difficult to get the most out of uh, what the Apostle Paul's trying to say each week. If you don't know what he said uh, before. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Before we jump in and we talk about the testimony of the church, there are a couple things that if you haven't noticed, there's a lot going on at Vintage Church. Have y'all noticed that? There's a lot going on here. There's a couple things that I want to highlight uh, that I'm really, really excited about. We are starting a church leadership college. This is going to be, yeah, you can clap for that. This is going to be um, Monday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, we've partnered with uh, a university called Global University. It's a fully accredited program. But I want to say, if you're in here and you just want to grow in your faith, or maybe you're exploring a call to ministry, this first year is going to be really, really great for you as well. It's really focused on personal discipleship. We're going to be leaning in, learning uh, what it looks like to grow in your faith, what ministry looks like, particularly leadership in the church. And so I want to encourage you, if you have Monday nights free to join us, you can find out more information at vintage.church forward slash college. This is also going to be an incredible opportunity to just build leaders in the church. And so I want to encourage you to do that. We are also starting a school. I don't know if you've heard about Vintage Christian Academy. Have you guys heard about it? Yeah. Vintage Christian Academy is launching. We are, we are, uh, uh, applications have been going through the roof these last couple of weeks, which means that much like me, you guys wait to the very last minute. And so I want to encourage you, uh, try not to stress our school out, our school staff out too much. We will fill up this first year and we will not be able to add students until we add space in this facility next year. We're going to be talking to you more about the building campaign update and all the building and all of that stuff going on. It's all exciting. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you have been putting it off, stop putting it off. As a member of the church, you actually get preferential uh, enrollment, but that doesn't work if there's no spaces left. And so I want to encourage you to do that. There's also a lot of different things that you have to do in terms of getting books and, and supplies and all of that. So I want to encourage you, uh, make sure that you're sharing this online. It's an exciting time for our church. I am just blown away by what God's doing with the staff uh, at Vintage Christian Academy already. God's brought the right people. Maybe you're one of those people. You're thinking, man, I'd really like to help. Uh, you can go to vintage.academy. You can look at employment opportunities and places to serve there as well. And so I want to encourage you, do that. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to give a very fast recap. It is in no way meant to replace you actually going back and catching up if you missed any of these weeks, but it does kind of help you because the Apostle Paul is writing the letter, the, the letter to the book, or the letter to the church, rather, at Ephesus, okay, and he's talking to the first church outside of a Judeo-Christian framework. This church was in the middle of Ephesus. It was a massive transit city in the Roman Empire, okay? It was the first primarily Gentile church, which means outside of the Jewish people. Uh, he was writing this letter also to prepare this church for what was 
to come. As he's writing this letter, they're not really being persecuted too much. As a matter of fact, they're just kind of growing. Uh, they're learning God's word. They're absorbing everything that they can. And the Apostle Paul saw what was coming, and he pins this letter to prepare. Everyone say prepare. To prepare them for a time when persecution would come against the church. We can see this happening in our culture right now. I personally believe with all of my heart, we're going into one of the most fruitful seasons of ministry. Here's what I know. The God, God always shines the brightest light in the darkest time. That's always what happens. And the Bible says that the local church is the hope of the world. That's what we learned in Ephesians chapter 1. He sets it out by saying, listen, the church is God's plan A, and he doesn't need a plan B. Do you know why? Because unlike you and I, who should have maybe a B, C, and D, God's plan A always works. The question in chapter 1 is, will God's people work the plan? He lays out this mystery of the church. The book of Ephesians is to the church, not to the culture, to the church that impacts the culture. He goes into chapter two and he talks about how our context is all about Christ. It isn't about our race. It isn't about our age. It isn't about what part of the city we grew up in or, or, or our lived experience. Okay. Our entire context is Christ. Those who've been born again into the family of God placed into this thing called the local church. He says, listen, he, he didn't believe in critical race theory. He believed in kingdom race theory. He says there is one race for those who believe in Christ, and that is the Christian one. That is very, very important. Here's what that means. The rules in here are all different. Not a lot of churches talking about that because a lot of churches have gone woke, but the reality is that's the truth. The truth is we have to go back to what the word of God says the church is. He says right up in Ephesians, if you think any of the problems we're facing now are new, they're not new. They're thousands of years old. History always repeats itself. And the word of God is timeless truth for all people at all times. He makes that very clear in chapter two because you're not gonna understand the rest of the book if you don't understand that the church is God's idea and he gives us unity in this person of Christ when we're born again. Week three, he talks about the purpose of the church. How many of you know everyone has an idea of what the church should be? Just go on Facebook. They'll be telling you all over the place what the church should be. And most of them don't even go to church. They're at the lake most of the time. Come on, somebody. Everyone had an idea. Just like this church, it's thriving. They're starting to learn the will and the ways of God. They're starting to grow in the knowledge of Scripture. And a lot of people started having alternate plans for what the church was. Some people probably thought the church was supposed to be a food bank. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that's the case. Some people said, well, the church is supposed to be this social justice machine. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, there are three purposes of the church. The first is to proclaim the whole truth of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Proclamation of the word is the number one purpose of the church. You go to a place where the pastors are not preaching the whole word of God. That is not a church. That is a salvation army. It's very important that you understand that. You need to leave immediately. All of it, even the parts that kind of make you uncomfortable. You know, I learned this years ago, my pastor taught me, he said, when you're reading the word of God and there's something you don't understand, or there's something that sticks to you, you know, kind of, kind of hurts you, assume it's you and not God, then adjust accordingly. He talks about the first purpose of the church is do not stop preaching the whole word of God. No matter how many pandemics, no matter how much pressure from the outside, do not shut up. Keep preaching the word of God. That's the first thing he says. Then he says... It's amazing when you teach God's word, lives start to change. Those people start to be added to the church. Then 
you have to actually make disciples. You have to roll up your sleeves and actually get into life with people and help them win, teaching them to obey all that is written in Scripture. Many of us say we love God. How many of you love God? Jesus says, you want to prove it? Do what he says. You know how you prove you love God? You obey the commands of Jesus. He says, we have to learn to do that. We don't naturally want to obey. How many of y'all have kids? You don't have to teach them to screw everything up. You don't have to teach a kid to be disobedient. They come out of the womb prepackaged just like that. We're the same way as believers when we're born again into the body of Christ. We're babies, and like babies, we don't understand how things work. We need to be nurtured so that we can grow up one day and tie our own shoes and stand on our own faith. That's the church's role is to help you do that. Okay, finally, before Jesus ascends on the Mount of Olives after the resurrection, he says, do not move until I send the helper or the advocate, which is the person of the Holy Spirit. We're to demonstrate the power of God in this earth. That's what we're called to do. You cannot preach the whole counsel of God. You cannot make disciples without the power of the Holy Spirit. You need his wisdom, right? You need his strength when you don't feel strong. Does that make sense? Those are the three things that the Apostle Paul makes very clear in Ephesians chapter 3. That is the purpose of the church. In order, proclaim, make disciples, demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Then in week 4, he starts talking about the gifts that are given to that purpose. You see how it's building? See how it's building? The church is God's plan, right? That's important. Christ unites us, right? We go into week three. We start to learn that the purpose of the church is those three things. And then we learn in chapter four that Christ himself gives specific gifts to achieve that purpose. Pastor Daniel did a great job last week, didn't he? Come on, put your hands together for him. That was the hardest week of the series. And I decided to go hang out in Chicago. Come on, somebody. The hardest week in the series, he did such a good job. Did you know not all people have church gifts? Although everyone has a church opinion. Anybody? Not everyone has it. There's three kinds of gifts. Gifts of the Father. God gives every single one of you a gift. He wired you a certain way. You are not slime plus time. You have a purpose and a measure of faith. Okay, everyone has those. Then the Bible gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says those are gifts that are to manifest, to preach, to make disciples. We do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we should seek those gifts to make a big impact in the world. Those are open to everybody. But the Bible says in Ephesians 4.11 that Christ himself, he didn't delegate this. He showed up. He didn't send a memo. He showed up. It says, when he descended and ascended, he gave gifts to men for the church, right? He gave them to some, not all. To do what? To administrate the church to equip the body of believers to do the work of the ministry. We've talked about what those gifts are. It's important for you to know those gifts because as a believer that's planted in the church, even if you don't have one of those gifts, you need to understand what the role of church leadership is. Otherwise, you're going to be spouting off crazy stuff on Facebook and actually creating drag on everyone in your spiritual family. It's important. You got to go back. Make sure you go back and you listen uh, last week. Last week, gifts of the church. This week, we're going to talk about the testimony of the church. So what happens when we understand that the church is God's idea, when we understand it's Christ that unites us, right? When we understand the purpose of the church and when we're equipped by the leaders in the church, what happens? You and I get to build a great testimony. All of a sudden, we start walking and all of a sudden, we start growing and we start discovering more about who God is and his big purposes in the church. All of a sudden, all of the little things 
that are going on around us, they don't bother us as much because we can see a bigger, everyone say bigger, a bigger purpose. So here's what we're going to do. For the next few moments, I'm going to teach from Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, next week, we're going to do a big back-to-school event. It's going to be exciting. We're going to have a couple weeks where we're just, you know, we're learning some other things. Then we're going to come back, okay, and we're going to learn uh, chapter 6. Where we're going to actually spend eight weeks in chapter 6 because it's all about spiritual warfare. Okay, but we can't engage God in spiritual, we can't engage the, the devil in spiritual warfare if we don't understand the context for which it happens, which is the church. And so here's what we're going to do. I want you to go and stand to your feet like we've done every week. If you're new, standing is a posture of honor. You might wonder why we raise our hands in worship. It's because this is a universal sign of surrender. God, I'm going to lay down my thoughts, my will, my emotions, and I'm going to submit to your word. I'm going to learn. We're standing because I pray that by the end of this message, God is going to speak directly to you one thing. I'm going to talk about so many things, and I'm going to do it really, really fast because I don't have a lot of time. But I believe the Holy Spirit, as you leave this place, maybe even as you're sitting, learning, and listening, as you're having questions in your small group, and you're going throughout your week, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance something that you need to work on. And I believe it's going to grow your testimony. Let me read Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of, God, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you, many will try, with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but instead be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Of marriage? No. But I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. You may be seated. 
This is a powerful week. Look at how the Apostle Paul starts out in our passage today. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. A lot of people will tell you that every human being on earth is a son or daughter of God. That is not true. The Bible says we are created in the image of God. I have lots of images of my family, okay, but they are not the full embodied real thing. An image is not the same as a son or daughter. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible is reasserting what we learned in chapters 1 and 2, that you are now children of God. So here's what it means, and this is important, because the church is more than a place you go to, it's a family that you belong to. And if you don't understand that, you're going to keep treating it like a cruise ship, right? You're going to keep consuming, and you're going to consume so much, you're going to get sick, and you're going to wonder why. There are lots of believers who do that. They come in, and it's just a teaching center. They're just constantly consuming. And I, man, I just want to be fed. I just want more feet, food, food, food. But they never actually exercise, never actually mature and grow up. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. He said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. I love this idea of imitation and, and God, this, this parallel between family. You know, your kids copy what you do, good or bad. This happened recently in our house. I was sitting in the living room, and my little man had been paying really close attention to how I interact with his mom. And I was sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden, I heard, whack! Ow! Yeah, baby. <laughs> Do you know what happens? Amen. That son imitated his papa, right? Your kids, for good or bad, they copy you. The more you're around them, the more they're around you, the more they look like you. The same should be in Christ. Obviously, that's a funny joke. And we corrected him and said, there's only one person who can do that to mama, and it's not you, you little punk. That's my girlfriend. Leave her alone. We laugh, but as children of God, that's how we're different. My kids don't have to ask permission to go to the fridge to get whatever they want out of it. We've tried. They don't listen. They don't interact with us when they come in the door out of fear, wondering when we're going to smack them or or be angry with them. And by the way, if you have that problem in your house, we'll help you with some counseling because that's not how it's supposed to be. You see, kids relate totally different than anyone else. And the Bible says here in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul saying, as we sell out to this thing called spiritual family to church, as we learn and we submit to God and to one another out of fear ultimately for God, he builds us up in this thing called spiritual family and all of a sudden it becomes so much more than a place we go to. All of a sudden, us as imitators of God, we begin to become like God. We begin to look like him, right? To act like him. Now, this doesn't happen in one moment. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the rest of our life will be spent learning how to do that. Here in chapter five, we see lots of things we shouldn't do and things we should strive for. And those are huge ideals, but this side of heaven, spoiler alert, you will be a hypocrite if you hold that idea. ideal. And our world will say, oh, well then, if you can't fulfill it all, just throw it all away. But that's not actually how we grow. Human beings grow by fixing our eyes on the ideal. We move towards it just like we become more like God. That is the point. The point is, when my kids mess up, I don't smack them across the room. I teach them. I guide them. Their brothers and sisters actually help me at the dinner table. That just started happening recently. It's been great. All of a sudden, the family becomes the place and the space for maturity and growth. That's what's being alluded to in chapter 5 here. And So for the next few moments, I'm going to talk about the testimony of the church. I have 10 minutes and about 30 minutes of 
teaching. Okay, I'm going to go through it fast. If you're taking notes, we have those on the app. You can also follow along in the notes you picked up when you came in. But I really believe God's going to speak to each of you specifically about something, something you can work on, something you can lean into. Because as we go into a heightened, uh, a new environment, God's doing incredible new things. We're, we're taking ground and we're doing great things as a body and God's moving in your life. I speak to you guys every week. I hear a different story about how God's moving or a different situation that you're walking through. We're going to need, right? We're going to need to understand how God works in the church more than ever. The testimony of the church. Back to the Bible. The first thing that we see here is he says, guard against impurity. The Apostle Paul specifically uses this word, okay, to be broad. Now, I don't have a ton of time. I, wrote, I read all of these passages when we opened up, but Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, but sexual morality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. I'm going to break this down just a few moments. There's a lot of people who tell you all sin is equal. That's true, and it's not true. It's true in that all sin ends in death. That's true. But some sin gets you dead faster. There's no other sin like the sin of sexual immorality, which is brought on purpose, so that instead of saying, how close can we get, the teenager says, God says, you're missing the point. It's how far you can get. The truth is he lumps up all of this into one. Anytime you take sex or sexuality out of the fireplace of marriage, it burns everything it touches. Let's talk about pornography. That's a big issue here. It should have no place in the church. It should have no place in your lives. We find it. We help you get set free from it. Right? We peel it away. We don't think like the world. He's talking sexual impurity. It matters how you relate in your families. Why? Because the natural family is an example of the greater spiritual family. Our church is only as strong as the weakest family. That's the truth. That's why he's alluding to this. Sexual morality is nothing quicker to kill you and your family. The Bible says it actually warps you. Anybody who's ever been addicted or ever been, you know, overcome by that, you know that that's absolutely true. You don't see things right, right? There are literally people are opting for the screen instead of the real thing today. And the reason is it's warping them. It's actually robbing them, right, from the real thing. Next, he says, any impurity. This refers to any kind of unclean or unholy living. Chapter 4, we talked about believers being entangled in sin. This is part of the job of church leaders is to help you sort through that. He also talks about greed. This is also translated as covetousness. It's one of the only thought crimes in Scripture. Let me, let me say it to you this way. It's entitlement. It's thinking you should have what you want because you want it, and you want it now. Right? You look over the fence. I want what took somebody 30 years to build, and I want it now. It's like that old you know, commercial, you know, the lump sum payment. It's like, I want my money, and I want it. We all have that attitude. We all have that attitude. we got to fight that. we got to fight sexual morality. we got to resist the devil if we expect him to flee. Any impurity, any greed. This is very, very important. Next, he says you need to guard against deception. First, focus on impurity. That's where the battle's real for everyone. Every one of us can work on that. There are things I've said that I've regretted yesterday. There are things that I've done that I've regretted yesterday. Does that make sense? We, we can all, that's, that's, that's for everybody. We can all get better in that. Because if we don't take that seriously, we're going to constantly be deceived. Ephesians 5, 6 through 10. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Why would he say let no one 
deceive you with empty arguments because lots of people will try. Lots of people will try. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, but you know, it just helps my sex life to watch a little porn. Think about it. All these excuses. If you take, if you take sin seriously, it guards against deception in your own heart. Because people will try to deceive you. This whole world is saying, if you can just destroy the, the ideal, you can become your true self. It says, man, you were just born a good person, wanting good things, but the world just oppressed you. And if you can just throw off anything that holds you back, like marriage and kids. Think about it for a minute. It's a lie. We've got to take sin seriously, or we're going to be deceived by these empty arguments. And anytime God multiplies, and he always does it in Scripture, you see it. He's doing it right now in our church. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable what God's doing. We're getting ready to put dirt, I mean, ground, playground. I mean, all kinds of stuff's happening. School's going. We have so many things. People, other pastors I talk to, they think I'm crazy. I probably am a little bit. You know what happens? Every time we try to put anything new in the ground, the devil fights. Every time God wants to multiply, the devil wants to divide. And he doesn't do it from people on the outside. He does it from people who are on the inside dividing or who were once on the inside, who go to the outside to start to divide with the people who are on the inside still. It's always how it works. So I want, to talk about some, I want to talk about some characteristics of church dividers. The Bible, Paul actually told Titus, a pastor, he said, this is how you deal with divisive people. You warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you have nothing to do with them. That doesn't sound very Christian. Well, if you base your Christianity on the Bible, it's, it's the best thing you can do. Why? Because people I've noticed that fall for empty arguments, they constantly keep unhealthy connections with people who don't love God and who hate the church. By the way, you cannot hate the church and love God. It's, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So what are some characteristics? I'm teaching Nehemiah in the fall, and I'm studying about Nehemiah. Nehemiah had this call from God to go rebuild the wall. It's a lot of what we're doing today, rebuilding the things that have been broken, the things that have been covered up, digging old wells that always work right? The work is great. And Nehemiah had hecklers that were trying to get him off the wall, constantly getting him off the wall. Because if God can stop the work, right, he can limit what God does on earth. If the devil can stop the work, if God's people from working, he can limit what God wants to do on the earth. And so this is happening, Sambalot and Tobiah, we're going to learn about it this fall, okay? But Sambalot and Tobiah, they're just trying to, they're just trying to heckle Nehemiah off the wall. And here's how Nehemiah responds to his hecklers. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great, everyone say great, a great work so that I cannot come down. The work is so big, I am not going to bother myself with your divisive, deceptive lying. That's what he said. I'm not even going to come down. I'm not even going to show up. Did you know you don't have to return every text message somebody sends you? You know, you don't have to have an opinion about every little attitude that somebody has about somebody else. You don't have, you don't have, this is crazy, this is crazy. I don't. <laughs> Did you know, sometimes another's business is their business. And you don't actually even have a right to know it. Think about that for a minute. Many of us, we get drawn away, drawn off the wall, drawn off what God wants to do in our life because we're so worried about what he's doing or not doing in someone else's. My advice in the new year is probably going to be just turn all that off. Just get off of it. Don't play anymore. It's the best thing you can do. Say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play. Right? So what are some characteristics of church dividers? First, they have no fruit. They have no fruit. It's always the case. They want to tell you how to live your family, 
but their family's a wreck. My advice to you, if you're in here building a family, rebuilding a family for some of you, okay, don't hang out with your peers who have the same family you have. Go find somebody who actually did it successfully and learn them. That's the power of the family of God. Go find an empty nester and ask them what mistakes they made and what, what good things they did, and then copy those things. I've noticed this. People who want to divide, right, they can never actually multiply anything on their own. They can only divide what others do. Always. They have no fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. And about this one, they don't fear God. It's amazing. I, I have this thought. What if God was as loyal to you as you are to your fellow brother and sister in Christ? Think about that for a minute. We're going we're gonna to close out with that point because he likens the marriage relationship to his relationship with the church. What if, think about it for a minute, what if God was as loose with his tongue about all of the things you do, which he sees all of them, as you are with what other people have done. Is it okay? Everyone all right? Listen, it's okay. You throw a rock, I'm not preaching to anybody, okay? Sometimes, though, you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that got hit is the one that yelled. I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's a Texas saying, but it's true. How about this? They are disloyal to God's people. I've noticed this. They have no fruit. They don't fear God, and because they don't fear God, they don't honor and respect what God's doing with his people. And last I checked, God has to work with imperfect people to get anything done. You know how I know that? Because every single one of us are imperfect. Every single one of us struggle. The Bible says we're working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Of who? Each other? No, of God. We should take seriously what God's doing in our lives. It's so important. Acts 20, 29. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. That's how you can tell. So what are three characteristics of church unifiers? They're fruitful, they fear God, and they're loyal to others. Pretty simple, right? They just do the opposite. Worry about what God's doing in your life, and you'll do something big. Fear God. Don't, don't, don't think lightly what God's doing in your life or in the life of others. And then finally, be loyal to people. Be loyal to people like God's loyal to you. Let's keep going in Ephesians. Y'all ready? Come on. Next, reject and expose evil. Reject and expose evil. I love this passage in Ephesians 5. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is important. This is important. We guard against impurity. We guard against deception. And here, here, this is key. Whose job is it to expose deception? All of ours. Look what he says. It's very clear. Don't participate in fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's what he's talking about. He's building on this idea of we're fighting impurity, right? We're, we're taking care of that in our own life. Sin in me lets me see the best in myself and the worst in you. We're not looking for impurity in other people. We're looking at impurity in ourselves. The Bible calls that removing the log from our eye so we can help our brothers and sisters with the specs. That makes sense? So, that's, that, so we're focused on that work. Go back to my list if you don't mind. Then we're guarding against deception. If we're focusing on what God's doing in our life, we're not going to be open to deception. But when the deception happens, whose job is it to take care of it? All of our jobs. He says, man, you bring that into the light. I want to talk to you a little bit about truth. You know, it's interesting when the Bible, negative one minute already, wow, okay. Jeez, guys, we've got to go back to longer services. Amen, amen. Some of y'all are like, I just woke up, man, I want out of here. I'm going to lunch. Truth. You know, the Bible says, don't lie in Exodus. That's the Ten Commandments, pretty big one. 
Don't lie. The actual word is don't bear false witness. You know why it said don't lie instead of tell the truth? Because the truth can be complicated. And sometimes it's complicated. And job is your, our job as your pastors and leaders is to help uncomplicate things that are complicated. Okay? And so I want to I talk about truth for just a minute. I want to give you a hierarchy of truth. This will help you understand it. I, I did this in a series not too long ago um, called This Means War. But at, at the base of the hierarchy of truth is absolute truth. You know what that means? Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Put God first. Those sound familiar? They're the Ten Commandments. There's only ten of them. Okay, that's absolute truth. It's true for everyone and all time, no matter what. Next, there's principle truth. Principle truth is that truth you build on top of the absolute truth. For example, if it's wrong to murder, which is the shedding of innocent blood, that's, that's to murder. It's different than kill. To murder is the shedding of innocent blood. Does it stand to reason that that still applies whether that blood is inside the womb or outside the womb? That's principle truth. So you're taking an absolute truth and you're going, oh, it applies. It's principle. On top of principle truth is what I would call subjective truth. You could call subjective truth relational truth. This will help you because you have to know where you're dealing with it. We want to put everything into absolute truth, but it's not absolute. It's actually subjective. You know what that means? You have your story. I have my story. And then there's what? The truth. How do we find it? We have to face each other and work it out. Right? That's subjective. It's like, uh, you hurt my feelings. Well, okay. My intent wasn't to hurt your feelings. Well, hell is paved with what? Good intentions. We got to get together and clarify intent. Maybe ask for forgiveness and figure it out. Hey, you know what? I didn't mean for my words to be that way, but it doesn't matter. It affected you. I, I care about that, right? On, on top of this is what I would call personal truth. You know, there are some things you shouldn't do because of you. For example, there's some of you in here, it would be wise for you to never touch a drop of alcohol. That would be wise. Because by touching one, you got to like bathe in it. Not good. Does that make sense? There are people that have convictions. There are people that still have convictions about eating pork. This happened a lot. There are people who had convictions in the early church about circumcision. Thank God that's not absolute truth. Come on, somebody. Talk about a plan for evangelism. Hey, all you Gentiles got saved. Snip, snip. Let's go. Paul had to deal with that because, because Pharisees, this is important, Pharisees always want to take something that's personal or something that's subjective and drop it into absolute principle all the time. This is why you need pastors to say, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. You're just being a baby. You know, that's really not, that's really not what that commandment means. Stop trying to use it as a club to beat your brother and sister. That makes sense? This is important. My kids do this all the time. When they want mercy and to be nurtured, they go to mom. But when they want justice, they come to dad. And I have to remind them, I'm like, you know what? No, no, you can't cut their hand off because they smacked you. You know what? I understand that they bumped you over. You can't take a bat. Like, no, 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 buddy. No, no, no. That's not, are you following me? It's important that you understand that. Why, number four, remain in spiritual family. Ephesians 5.15, pay careful attention to how everyone else walks. Pay careful attention to what everyone's saying on the Twitter. Pay perfect attention to how, to, to how messed up the person sitting next to you is. Pay perfect attention to every one of your spouse's faults. Good luck with that. What you look at is what you become full of. <clears throat> what does it say? Pay careful attention to how you, everyone say me, to me. Why? That, that, because that's wise. If you look at you, there's always a step forward. If you look at you, there's always a path to redemption. But if you start looking at everybody else, you know what you can't do? 
You can't change anyone else. Right? Apostle Paul is walking down. Remain in spiritual family. Verse 20, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another. Next, remain in Christ. This is a big one. This is a big one. Quote this last passage. Verse 32. 532. This mystery is profound. He just spent all this time talking about husbands and wives. He said, this is a great mystery of marriage. Nope. Of the church. For just like the husband covers the wife in all things, Christ, the husband of the church, covers his bride, the church. And that as he remains steadfast, committed, faithful, loyal, you know what happens? His bride becomes more and more beautiful. More and more what she's supposed to be. More and more what God's called her to be. John 13, 35, Jesus looks at his disciples. I'm going to land the plane with this passage. If you want more, come to midweek. We're going to go long in midweek. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you feed the poor. Doesn't say that, does it? That you virtue signal? That you make sure everyone thinks you're a good person? He's looking at his disciples when he says this. And he says, By this, everyone will know that you belong to me if you love one another. Here's my question. Can you love God and despise his people? The answer is no. The truth is, the stronger you become in Christ, the more you can actually, the Bible says, bear with your weaker brothers and sisters. The more you can remember that you once struggled with that and you found a way out and you can help lead them out the same way, right, that you were led. You can, in other words, turn and do for someone else what someone once did for you. That's the power of spiritual family. I really believe this. If we would take that seriously as a church, let's just say in this room, let's say 20 of you took that seriously, it would change everything. Jesus did it with 12 people and one of them betrayed him. They had to replace him. He did it with 12 men. Imagine what 12 men or women in this room could do if we took that seriously. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church family. I, I pray, God, that as we are putting things in the ground, there's lots of opposition. There's always opposition, but there's particular opposition when things are beginning. The devil always likes to take something out before it starts or in its infancy. And God, we know that you're with us. We know, God, that as you multiply, Lord, there's going to be dividers. And I pray, God, that as a spiritual family, we would be able to unite against all of that because it's really not against people. It's against spiritual forces and wickedness in, he in heavenly places. That our battle really isn't with the face in front of us. It's the spirit behind them wanting to destroy and to kill what you're doing in this earth. Father, I pray that you would continue to strengthen each one of us right where we are that your Holy Spirit would speak to us exactly what you would have us do in this next season. Father, that you would deal with us individually like a parent deals with a child, patiently, lovingly, through commitment and through grace. God, we love you. I also pray, Father, for anybody in here that doesn't know you. I pray by your Holy Spirit they wouldn't leave this place the same way that they came in. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're almost finished. In a moment, I want to pray for you specifically if you're far from God and you don't want to be. Maybe you're in here today and I don't have to ask you an awkward question or embarrass you or single you out. I'm not going to do any of that. But you know if you're playing with God, you know if you're right with God. 
For many of you, maybe you've given your life to Christ at one point, but you're not serious about it. You haven't been faithful. Maybe you're in here and you've never given your life to Christ. You're looking at your life and it's a wreck and you're realizing he's what you're missing. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around between me, you, and God. If you say, Pastor, I'm far from God, I don't want to be, and you want my prayer, would you just acknowledge that by lifting up your hands? Would you be in here like that? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are going to fall over the room. You're never the only one. That's always what the devil says. It's a lie. To anyone else, you say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm far from God. I don't want to be. Before I change the order of the service, is there anyone else? You say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. There's no magic in the prayer. It's just in the commitment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The Bible says that to get right with God, you have to accept what Christ did on the cross in paying for your sin. You have to put your life under the power of his resurrection for without the resurrection you cannot be made right with God because of your sin in a moment I'm going to lead you in a prayer I want you to repeat after me I want you to mean it allow it to be an expression of why you raised your hand as a matter of fact the rest of the people around you we're going to pray with you as well because our relationship with God started or restarted the same way we're also going to give you some next steps my advice to you is take the step if you really mean it pray this prayer with all of your heart just loud enough where you can hear your own voice and then do what we ask you to do to grow in your faith. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good, and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day, after you were killed on the cross, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you conquered death once and for all, to give me life once and for all. So today of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. Jesus, I am yours. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together if everybody did that.